Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Welcome back. Second hour of the show. Great to have you with us. Uh, our play-by-play call today, we'll get to that in a moment. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia, Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. On Tuesday night, the Washington Nationals beat the New York Mets 25-4. to It was, by the way, 25-1 to heading to the ninth inning, but the Mets put together a miraculous three-run rally in the ninth inning to make the final 25-4. to <laughs> That included a six-run eighth inning on Tuesday night. Now, at this point, the Mets are not going to sacrifice any of their starting pitchers. So they bring in Jose Reyes to pitch in the eighth inning, much to the joy of the already red-hot Washington National hitters. He gets Zimmerman, Soto, and Adams in the bottom of the eighth. (laughs) Tim wasn't in the box, and Reyes started. He's fired up. launches one scoreboard looks like a homer now the umpires are going to call it off the top of the board here they come see you later and it's 21 to 1 Reynolds with a high drive to deep center see you later you you don't want to get a guy hurt but that makes no sense Brian Zimmerman had nowhere to go. For a moment, he acted like he might charge the mound. And the 0-2 hit to left. Conforto is there, and that's it. Yes, that was a six-run eighth inning off Jose Reyes. Zimmerman, by the way, was mocking about charging the mound after he got hit by a pitch. Uh, by Jose Reyes. I mean, you know, it's about as soft a, a toss to the plays you're going to see. So everybody got mocked. Like, okay, how dare you hit me? Uh, but Matt Adams out of Phillipsburg, Osceola High School here in Center County. Uh, homered in that sequence. Mark Reynolds, who actually has provided some power this year for the Nationals. Homered in that sequence as Jose Reyes gave up six more runs. The inning started at 19-1. to It ended at 25-1. to But then the Mets on Tuesday night put together a remarkable, and I do mean remarkable, four, uh, three-run rally in the ninth inning to make the final 25-4. to 25-4. to Nationals were so happy they didn't trade Bryce Harper. They went out and they just poured it on. I still say in the end, I, I think when you look at what happened at the trade deadline? We're going to get to Kate and Kaler uh, in a moment from uh, Sports Illustrated about the Eagles. Uh, we're going to talk to her and then Ryan Snyder in the final half hour on recruiting. But when you look at what uh, was done at the deadline, Brian Dozier goes to the Dodgers. 
Now you combine that with Manny Machado. They've they've really they've changed everything in their batting order, power wise, and they've changed their infield. Gosman going from the Orioles to the Braves really is something that Atlanta desperately needed. Label the Braves as a winner at the trade deadline. Label the Phillies as a winner at the trade deadline. Getting Ramos, I thought, was huge. They already picked up Cabrera. The Phillies made themselves better at the trade deadline. Now, getting a little from from Toronto, the left-handed reliever, I'm, you know, I I think to me that in the end that might be an insignificant move. It's just another left-handed arm. But they didn't give up any of the top 30 prospects. Pirates were a winner at the trade deadline. They got Archer, they got Keela, two long-term friendly contracts. And, yeah, they gave up prospects, but they're only prospects. The Meadows, Glasnow, Taylor Hearn, yeah. uh, I don't see a lot of stardom there. And label them a winner at the trade deadline. Uh, Evaldi to the Red Sox along with Ian Kinsler. Red Sox a winner at the trade deadline. Now, now you look at the Yankees and say, yeah, they're a winner at the trade deadline, but now Jay Happ now has hand, foot, mouth disease. What the heck? He's the second major league player to get that this year, by the way. So he's currently out. So, I mean, label them a winner at the trade deadline. So there were several winners at the trade deadline across the board as teams really look to improve themselves. A lot of it at the expense of the Orioles. Uh, You know, the Brewers, I think, improved themselves. But, all right, so it's a lot of baseball talk there. Now we're going to do a lot of football talk. Caitlin Kaler is with Monday Morning Quarterback. And on SI.com, she... In the last couple of days, has visited the Eagles camp, and she's going to join us from Indianapolis because she just came out of covering Indianapolis Colts camp with Andrew Luck. Caitlin, welcome to the show. It is great to have you with us. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, There's a group of players, which included Jason Peters and Carson Wentz, that at the Super Bowl, as they were working out in Minnesota's uh, indoor facility, uh, would work out together and had to do it in the weight room. They're there, but they can't participate in what's going on. What kind of bond did those guys form, and what does that mean to this current team? Yeah, I mean, it was a really interesting bond that they had, and I first kind of was keyed onto it when I was talking to Wentz during minicamp about, you know, how his rehab was and, you know, what the lowest points in his rehab were, and he immediately started sharing about how um, the group of the five guys that they had with Wentz, Peters, Maragos, and Strolled, um, going through that together made it so much better for him than, you know, usually when you're on IR, if you're the only guy, if you're the only guy on your team with anything else, it's really isolating. So that was the first thing that he mentioned, which kind of tells you how important it was for them. And, you know, they were able to build a really interesting group dynamic where you had Jason Peters, you know, doling out fake fines um, <laughs> to guys that walked into the training room a little bit after him because anything after him was considered late in his eyes. Um so, yeah, and it was what was funny was, you know, a lot of times you're interviewing these guys and, uh, you know, it's just kind of they're not super engaging. They're not really into what you're asking them. But every time, you know, I would bring up this subject with these guys, like a smile would come onto their face. Like Darren Sproles, who's really not not the chattiest player, he really opened up and was, like, super happy and excited to be talking about them, which I think also, also shows you, um, you know, what, what that relationship meant to them. 
And then you had uh, Jordan Hicks, who who shared that, you know, as you guys mentioned, when they were at the Super Bowl, um, that was their toughest challenge, uh, you know, watching their their teammates go out there and kind of fulfill one of their lifelong dreams, but they weren't really part of it. So when they stood there on the sidelines, Jordan Hicks said they were able to just um, kind of look at each other, give each other one little look, one little head nod, and that was all they needed to sort of support each other and remind themselves, like, hey, we're here for our teammates. We're still here, like, and we're going to get back here next year. Uh, in fact, they were nicknamed what, uh, Club Rehab is what their uh, their nickname was? Yep, yep, that's what Hicks told me. He was Because I, I was asking them, I'm like, does this group have a name? Because it sounds like some sort of, like, a middle school clique where you would, like, name yourselves. <laughs> um, right. And he was like, yeah, yeah, we're Club Rehab, we're Club Rehab. Uh, injuries happen, obviously, uh, and veterans, suddenly it comes up, they can't play in the Super Bowl. I mean, my broadcast partner for Penn State football, Jack Ham, played in three Super Bowls but did not play in Super Bowl fourteen because he was he was hurt after playing all year. What kind of boost, actually, does this give to the Eagles that this kind of veteran talent is actually has a chance to come back, especially a guy like Peters, for example, where many thought he was through when he got hurt? Yeah, I mean, it's crazy when you think about it, how many guys that they had. And, and not only just, like, average players, but, like like you said, team leaders. Three out of the five of them were team captains. Um, and, you know, majority of them were starters. So when you think about what it'll be like for them to return, I mean, this team is going to be so much better. And it's crazy because I think most people forget, you know, everybody focuses on, oh, it's Nick Foles. That was the, you know, Carson Wentz was the injury. And we focus on Nick Foles and his amazing um, Super Bowl performance and playoff performance. But really, it's the rest of these guys. And I think having Jason Peters back is going to be really huge for them. And obviously having Wentz back. It's one thing to talk about the attitude that they had in rehab. But how important is for the camaraderie of that locker room in the field that Nick Foles has the attitude he has? Yeah, I mean, I think the relationship between Foles and Wentz is one of the more interesting, uh, you know, really, player duos and relationships in the NFL because we've never really seen something work like this before. And I think it's still too early to say that it has worked because now we have Foles coming back after he was Super Bowl MVP. Um, you know, which we, we, he wasn't in that situation last year as he finished the season. So, um, you know, everybody asked them. I asked Wentz uh, and other players about their dynamic and, and how the two of them are able to support each other in the way that they do without – obviously they're competitive with each other, but it hasn't turned nasty yet as, as we've seen, you know, in the past with these kind of situations. Um, and all the players in Foles and Wentz just point to their relationship um, – with their their common faith with Christianity. And so, you know, you kind of get tired of hearing it, but it it makes you think like, well, maybe that is what is the difference here. And maybe that is why these two are able to work this out in ways that we haven't seen a quarterback and backup quarterback, you know, competing for that same job ever do in the past. Kalen, what does Doug Peterson's personality and approach mean for the organization, but also what does it mean to the players? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think his approach had a lot to do with, you know, how that situation with those two quarterbacks worked last year. Um, I think that he was able to um, really keep these injured guys engaged with the team and, and still a part of the team because, as I wrote in that story, uh, they told me, even though they're on the sideline of the Super Bowl, they're not playing 
each of those guys is really involved with his position group, and he's watching what he's seeing on the field, and he's going over to them when his guys are back on the sideline to tell them, okay, this is what I saw here. This is what you guys need to adjust to. So I think, you know, I think he was really conscious of getting them involved, even though they they uh, were injured and not able to compete. And I think the big reason why, you know, this team, because all the players kept telling me, that's why we won the Super Bowl. That's why we won the Super Bowl. We're a family. We really care about each other. And some of that can sound like, you know, cliche and like, okay, okay, I've heard this many times before, but maybe that is, you know, coming straight from Peterson. All right. Uh, on the camaraderie part, this was as quiet. White House deal aside, that was that was an outside entity. All right. This was about as mm-hmm. quiet uh, quiet an off season I've ever seen a Super Bowl or World Champion have in a long, long time where it just seemed like Nothing happened. Nobody got out of line. Nobody did did anything crazy. What does that tell you about the Eagles, and what does it tell you about just the kind of professionals they are? Yeah, I think they have one of the closest rooms, just from some of the reporting that I've done and other reporting that I've read. seems like they have one of the closest locker rooms, you know, in the league. And, you know, they all seem to, like, really care about each other. And it's a fun locker room to go into and, and uh, interview the guys with it, um, the fact that they are so close. And, and unlike other Super Bowl teams in the past where it's like, how do you stay hungry? How do you come back the next season and still want and fight for another title? Um, you know, they had the fact that they had so many of those injuries, those guys are so hungry, and those are the team leaders. So even if anybody was tempted to sit back on their haunches, which I don't think they were, they definitely aren't now because the major- like so many of their important leaders weren't even playing in that game. Kaylee, you just got out of Colts camp, so let's go to the opposite end of the victory spectrum. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and and right, uh, right. I mean, new coaching staff, the return of a quarterback that, if he's healthy, actually can resurrect them to maybe potentially in the neighborhood of 500 just by being there. What was your impression walking out of that camp? Yeah, I mean, it seems like uh, Andrew Luck uh, is just getting better every practice that he has. Uh, I mean, I only saw one day. I think this was their fifth day or sixth day of practice. And, um, you know, from what I read from uh, from previous days where I wasn't there, it seems like he had a really good day on Sunday uh, where he threw some really nice passes and, and really looked like he was getting back to his old form, whereas in the earlier days of camp, you know, he was a little rusty, as to be expected. Um and I talked to uh, Costanzo, uh, his longtime left tackle, and, you know, he said he's really the jump that uh, Luck has made just from, like, day one to day three in training camp was really significant. And, you know, he can tell that Andrew Luck is coming back. And within, you know, the next couple of weeks, he said, watch out, like, Luck is going to be back to his, to his old form as we knew him, what seems like an eternity ago now. It's also a, a new coaching staff as well, uh, and with Frank Reich obviously in charge. What kind of mm-hmm. sense did you get? You know, I mean, attempt, there isn't going to be a guy that's going to be more quarterback friendly and easier to work with than Frank Reich, uh, which Luck now has the luxury of. What kind of imprint can you see from Frank Reich just in the short time you were there? Yeah, um Rick seems like he's got a great handle of his team. And what was funny is that I was doing a little uh, trivia question to some of the younger players to see if I could catch them on this. And I said, uh, trivia for you guys. Um, 
you know, who's which NFL quarterback uh, is responsible for putting the other leading the largest comeback victory in NFL history. And I got one rookie. I got one rookie who did not know the answer to it. Uh, a rookie receiver, and he was like, "Oh, the Tom Brady with the against uh, the Falcons in the Super Bowl," and I was like, "No, it's actually your head coach." Um, but that was funny because there was another rookie that I asked that question to, and he was like, "Oh, Frank Reich, my agent told me on draft day." Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, fifth round. I think it was a fifth round running back who who said that, and he was like, "Yeah, my agent told me on draft day because I didn't know anything about Frank Reich." Um, and I want. I was asking him, like, tell me more about him. Like, what's he like? Like, what is? What's his history? What's his career? Blah blah blah. And so his agent was like, "Here's a fun fact." And then the same player was like, "Yeah." So then I went to Wikipedia and I looked up his stats, and I'm like, "Wow, he had a legitimate career." <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I thought that was pretty fun. That was pretty entertaining. And I, and then that same player was like, "You would never know it." He's like, "I think a lot of guys here." don't know that aren't aware of like his career uh his quarterback career because he's very humble and he doesn't he doesn't like to talk about uh you know his own success and to his players so a lot of them weren't aware of that so i think that gives you a little sense of like what he's like as a head coach well i'll add to that because he also has the mark for the largest comeback in college Right. Because when he was right. at Maryland, they were way behind, and they rallied and beat Miami when he was the starting quarterback. So, right, it's an impressive, two impressive records there. Yeah. So, hey, when when you're a lifelong backup like he was, you know, and he ends up being a lifer in the league, I don't know if any right. people around there, you know, that he appreciates this more than anybody else because he knows how hard it is to get there. I'm sure. Yeah. Definitely. Got a good perspective. Kalen, thanks so much for your time. I really enjoyed it uh, as we ran from the top of the league to the bottom of the league. That was really great. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. Thanks for having me, guys. It was fun. First time we've ever had her on the show. Caitlin Kaler from Sports Illustrated, SI.com, and Monday Morning Quarterback, MMQB. Great to talk with her. She's a great guest. Great insight as to what's going on with the Eagles. And also a little bit of insight of what's going on with the Indianapolis Colts. I mean, just by getting Andrew Luck back, they now put themselves, the Colts do in my opinion. And if, if Luck is as solid as he seems to be in the early going of, of Colts camp, that now makes Indianapolis at minimum to me a seven and nine team. And, you know, you swing a couple games your way, you become a nine and seven team and you're right in the thick of maybe a playoff possibility. That's how much Andrew Luck means to what the Colts are doing. Don't have a great defense, uh, but he makes a big difference with what they're doing offensively. And, and look, if he's doing well offensively, he keeps their defense off the field. Uh, coming up in the final half hour, we're going to go to recruiting. Ryan Snyder, rivals.com, Blue White Illustrated. Penn State football camp is going to get underway on Friday. And uh, then the uh, first practice is Friday evening. Then media day will be on Sunday. Or excuse me, media day will be Saturday. And then they'll have their uh, second practice on Sunday evening, which the media will get to t- attend some of. Third practice, another acclamation practice, is going to be on Sunday. And then, believe it or not, okay, the way James has set things up, I mean, Mondays are going to be off days. So it's going to be the same all the way through. Mondays will be off days. Got a couple of scrimmages set for the stadium during the course of the month of August and so forth to get them uh, ready for the upcoming season. 
and classes will begin on the 20th. So cl- classes begin on the 20th. That is a Monday. And so they're not going to have class. They're not going to practice that day either. And then after that, you get into game week on the 27th, and he doesn't practice on Mondays in game week. He goes Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then walk through Friday and in the game. It's closing in. Here it is, August. Already here. All right. Coming up, final half hour, Ryan Snyder, Rivals.com, and also Blue White Illustrated. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15 on News Radio 1070, WKOK. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Final half hour of the show. Great to have you with us here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Your home for the Philadelphia Phillies. We beat the Red Sox last night three to one to get a split at Fenway Park. And uh, the Phillies roll on in first place in the National League uh, East. And to their credit, uh, holding off the Braves and the Nationals right now and making a couple of good deals. Picking up Cabrera as Dribble Cabrera, picking up Wilson Ramos. I know he can't play for a couple of weeks. He's still in the DL with the hamstring, but two deals I like without question. So great to have you with us. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia, Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. It's always a great time to buy a car from them. All right, Ryan Snyder, Rivals.com, Blue White Illustrated. Let's get into the recruiting of it. Ryan, first of all, welcome, and I hope that your baby is doing extremely well. No complaints, Steve. I have a a little angel, knock on wood, that everything continues that way. But uh, as far as, uh, you know, anything excessive, whining, fussiness, man, he's he's perfect. So no complaints. Thank goodness for the mom. All right, so let's get to uh, Lash Bash. A lot of people want to know how that turned out, so let's let's get to the basics. In terms of attendance, did everybody they expect to show show? Yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty solid. Um, now I, I think some fans, you know, in the past couple of years, uh, you saw a little bit more than uh, as far as an overall. Uh, number of kids than what we saw this year, and, and the main reason of that is because of the new dead period rules. Um, you know, uh, last couple of years it was only a two week break in the beginning of July, and uh, you know that was bumped to a, basically the entire month of July now. And, and because of that, 
um, basically what you saw was that all the big schools in the region and really all the all the big Division One schools across the country would host a really big recruiting event right before the debt period, uh, which was right around June 23rd, June 24th, right. and then right after the debt period, which was uh, this past weekend. So unlike years past where, you know, Penn State uh, was – you know, probably the, the biggest event in the region. You know, for for that third weekend in July. Now the that 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 weekend has uh, you know big events at Ohio State and Michigan and you know all over really. Um, so you know because of that, obviously, you know there there was a, a little bit less of a, of a number um, than what we saw in years past. It used to be forty fifty plus this year it was around uh, I believe like thirty five ish. But um, but as far as talent wise, man, I mean every basically every player there had an offer. I believe every player actually in attendance already has an offer. And, and this event really is about the getting the, getting the best of the best together. So. Uh, you know, we saw arguably the, one of the nation's top 2020 prospects there, Brian Bressey. Uh, you know, Penn State had a, a load of top 2019 talents they're still after from, from wide receiver David Bell, um, defensive end uh, Adisa, uh, Adisa Isaac. Um, we can go on and on. Two top, uh, you know, or three top O linemen and Anthony Wiggins, the junior college prospect, Walter Rouse, and Henry Frank. So uh, they, they had a lot of their top 2019 guys there and a bunch of solid top 2020 guys. So, uh, and, and, and of course, <laughs> I don't think I, I saw one negative uh, a comment from all the players I spoke with. So it, it's always a real hit, and the, the staff really does a great job with it. One thing I really want to add quick for the next question is they did a scavenger hunt this year, which was something I've never seen before. And basically, um, for what I gathered is, you know, they, they set up some of their, their top prospects, guys that haven't committed yet with, uh, you know, either other players in their position or some of them up with some of the committed guys. They send them around campus to do different Different things, so that, you know they go to the creamery. Uh, you know they'd have to find somebody and get them to get them to shout "We are," and you know they shout back Penn State. It was really unique, and that's something I've never seen before. And, and it was a really big hit. So, uh, if, if whoever came up with that idea is listening right now, you deserve a raise. And uh, <laughs> if you want, I'll, I'll go to vouch for you. Give me a call. Uh, let's. Uh, the next part is this: the early signing period worked out really well for Penn State last yeah. year, and everyone was pleased with it. But they're also the other part of the early signing date is they also have changed now the recruiting calendar. How tough mm-hmm. is that on a on a coaching staff, not just Penn State but across the board, because of now how the recruiting calendar is structured because of the early signing period? Yeah, well, I, basically official visits. That's the big thing now. Is is what we saw in the spring. Uh, now prospects could take official visits from April to June, and that. Um, it's difficult for a couple of reasons. One, they're they're busier, uh, you know, trying to get all the top prospects on campus, and and you know they're already extremely busy uh, throughout spring ball and even after that. Um, but but now you know trying to get host guys host guys for official visits that that added to it. And and two, I think maybe the most important thing about that is juggling those official visits and and determining whether they should use it now or whether they should use it in uh, fall. Uh, I think I think Frank would be the first to tell you that he would have preferred. To have most of the guys that visited this spring that that didn't commit, you know, the, a few of those guys that the right. officials ended up committing, but the guys that didn't commit, uh, he, he would have rather them come in the fall. But you know, for one reason or another, it was either take the official visit now or they don't visit at all. And of course, you don't want to go three, four, five months without getting your top prospects on campus. So, you know, that I think that was the big juggling act that uh, I think if, if Franklin would open up about that, he would say that he. 
it not that he doesn't like it, but it's just it's just difficult. And, and you know, there's going to be some times where it benefits him, and there's going to be some times where it hurts him. So I think that was one thing that really stood out to me. And then, but other than that, it's, it's you know the dead period, like we mentioned, having four straight weeks off. Um, you know, that's that's a long that's a long gap without uh, you know hosting guys on campus. Now, I will say this. Uh, you know, ha- having a, a four-week dead period is great for for the coaches to to get together with their families and whatnot. Um, you know, and I think that's great, man. These guys work harder than any any group of people I know, and I, I genuinely mean that. And I think my dad's one of the hardest workers I know, and I'm right. sure a lot of other people out there know people that work extremely hard every day, and, and nothing comes close from what I've ever seen to, to what the staff does, and, and not just the coaches, but everybody around them. Uh, so that was great, but at the same time. You know, because you have that week or that that four week period in July, it cuts back on on little little visits that we've seen or little getaways that we've seen in the past. You know, where you know some of the guys would maybe go away uh, Memorial Day weekend and things like that. You know, they weren't really able to do that. So now you kind of take all that vacation time for those two three weeks that they're away, uh, and and that's pretty much it. Now they don't really. I mean, I'm sure they get away every once in a while, but. Uh, yeah. You know, as far as getting away in you know late May and stuff like that, it, you, you weren't really able to do that this year. You'll get uh, the formation of a recruiting class, and there'll be a guy or two in there that then really works and tries to then recruit the recruits. And people yeah. are coming into their class. Sean Clifford was a perfect example of that. All right, excellent. Uh, who in this group for the nineteen signing group might fall into that category? That is what you would consider Ryan an active recruiter for everybody. Yeah, there's a lot of really good candidates. Um, I mean, to start off, I think one of the most mature, smart, bright. I mean, I can't go. I can go on and on about about Cade Wallace, uh, the the offensive lineman from New Jersey. Um, as far as I'll put it this way, when he gets on campus, I guarantee that he's hosting recruits for official visits all throughout his four years here because he's perfect. Uh, for what Penn State wants to represent, as far as on the field and off the field, he he's great with with you know just just telling guys like it is and being able relatable and you know again he's his maturity and character is on to a different level. But you know you can say the same thing about Brandon Smith, you can say the same thing about Devin Ford and Taquan Roberson and, and some other guys. So um, you know there, there really is a, a a really solid mix of of guys that are really just mature beyond their years, and that's really not anything unique to this class. I mean that's that's something that. I think Penn State's always been pretty good with that, you know, yeah. going back over the, the, the years. But but James has not missed a beat with that man, and 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 it showed. And I think it I think it helps on the field too. I think James would be the first to tell you that, you know, you can get some super athletes out there, guys that you know might be better than some of the guys that you know Penn State has or whatever position athletically. But if they don't have it, you know, uh, upstairs in the head and you know taking care of everything off the field. Uh, it, it, that's going to, you know, impact their on the field results as well, and I think that's really shown uh, over the past two years and what we've seen. So, I mean, I could go on all day. The Lance Dixon's another guy, Salim Wormley, uh, Keaton Ellis. I didn't mention, you know, the, the young man from State College. Uh, Penn State has a great group of guys that, uh, you know, really just and, and I don't want to say they, they don't really even just recruit and bug guys about. Hey, you need to come to Penn State because of X, Y, Z. These guys just know how to. Build friendships, and that's that's more important than anything. Just getting to know guys, and you know, you don't bug them on Twitter about, hey, I went to Penn State because of this and that. It's more like, hey, man, you know, you want to hang out, play PlayStation, or uh, you know, just joke around, whatever. And and I think that's how you build friendships, and that's how classes expand uh, because of relationships with recruits. I believe out of the weekend they got one commitment. What was the read yep. on other potential commitments this week? Yeah, so we're watching. Um, 
we're watching two guys. Well, we're watching a couple of guys, but I think Zachary Franks, the offensive lineman out of Baltimore, is someone to definitely keep an eye on. Uh, you know, we were watching him for a potential commitment this weekend, and, you know, he was honest. You know, uh, he wanted to go home and, and, and talk to mom more and uh, think about it a little bit more, and uh, I think we could definitely see a commitment from him in, in the near future. Uh, Anthony Wigan, like I mentioned earlier, the junior college uh, offensive lineman uh, out of Lackawanna. He's originally from Great Mills, Maryland. Uh, he was another guy we were watching this weekend. Uh, he, he also decided to hold off, but, you know, he's made it very clear that Penn State's the top school. He's made it very clear that he's going to make commitment in the next few weeks. And, you know, being a junior college prospect, there's no real chance for him to take visits anymore. Well, it, the dead period now is actually throughout August, which that, that's another rule change I didn't mention earlier about right. how August is now a dead period as well. Right. Uh, so, so long story short, uh, Penn State's his favorite. He can't visit any more schools, and he's committing in the next couple of weeks. So <laughs> I, I, uh, I think Penn State's in a pretty good position there. It's going to take something drastic for, for him to not end up here. So uh, they're, they're in a great shape with, with a, a good group of offensive linemen. They're in great shape with Adisa Isaac, the, uh, the, the defensive end out of New York. Uh, I could go on and on. Jared Hunt, another defensive tackle out of New York. He's, I think Jared's going to wait a little bit longer, um, but I think he's another guy that Penn State sits in a good spot with. He he was up here this weekend. I didn't mention Dave. Well, I, I mentioned him earlier, but didn't go into details. Uh, David Bell, uh, the top wide receiver out of Indianapolis. Now Penn State got a second wide receiver this weekend. I'm sure everybody saw in Emory Simmons. Um, you know. I, I think we'll put it this way. Before spring ball, I was on the impression that they would stop it. They would probably stop it too. Uh, but when you have someone like David Bell available still, and you bring him on campus like they did this past weekend, and he really hit a home run. I mean, the kid, the kid even blatantly said, "You know, I think this is a place I could end up at." Um, you know, I think Penn State sits in a very good spot with him, and he's talented enough where, uh, you know, he's high enough on their board where you know they'll they'll have to make room for a third wide receiver if he wants to eventually join. Now, uh, David hasn't really said when he's going to make a move. I don't know if that's in the near future or anything like that. But the Lions sit in a good spot with him. So that basically almost everyone they had on campus uh, out of the 2019 group. I mean, I would say they they probably are the favorites with about 80 percent of them. And uh, you know, if they don't make a move here in the next couple of weeks. They'll, they'll, they should be able to lock up at least a few of them come the season. I think everyone knows pretty much the state uh, of what uh, prospects are in Pennsylvania this year as opposed to mm-hmm. next year. But you still want to make sure that you, you get the top prospects in this state, uh, no matter what the year happens to be and how deep the talent pool is. How's Penn State within the state? Well, this year is a little bit down. Yeah, uh, everyone knows it's thin. Uh, I mean, everyone knows it's thin. Next year, it's deep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's deeper. I, I will say this. I, I wouldn't say it, it's very deep. Um, you know, they've also they've only offered about, uh, I believe, it's three guys in Pennsylvania right now. Uh, everybody knows about Julian Fleming, of course, uh, the top wide receiver out of um, uh, Southern Columbia. I, I think Penn State is in a good spot with him. He wasn't able to make it up this past weekend. Uh, I believe he's on uh, vacation right now. But you know, they definitely are in, in a good spot with Julian. Uh, Michael Carmody, the uh, offensive lineman. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I'm drawing a blank on the school. I know he's from Mars, PA. Uh, I'm drawing a blank on the school. Uh, he was up for camp this past weekend. Uh, oh, no, he's from Mars. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's, that's the school, Mars. Uh, he was up for camp this past weekend. He's another guy they've offered so far. Um, you know, I think his his brother went to Notre Dame um, for for basketball, so I, we'll we'll see uh, how, how that impacts his eventual decision. But I mean, those are the two guys I'm really focused on. I would say as far as um, as far as Penn State's concerned in in, um, in Pennsylvania. But um, you know, there are some others to keep an eye on. Uh, we'll say maybe uh, Evan Simon, 
um, the, the the quarterback out of um, oh shoot Mannheim Central, the guy to keep an eye on, um, and there's a few others down the road, but uh, Harmody and, and Fleming are the two that I really think tend to be the best position. Ones. All right, uh, out of state, obviously they've had to do some. You have to uh, obviously, no matter what, expand your footprint. Part of that footprint potentially could be, like most schools have done, maybe find a guy or two in Florida. Back to the 80s, Michael Timpson, Tim Johnson, uh, out of Florida. Made a big difference here. How? You know, what kind of inroads, based on staff changes, has Penn State been able to make in Florida? Because obviously you're trying to get the right people, but the inroads. Well, it, it, I'll just say this. Jawan Sider is, or Jay Sider, excuse me, let me get it correct, is a home run. Uh, when it comes to South Florida, uh, he has connections at all those top schools down there and shown already, especially with uh, adding John uh, Dunmore. I mean, let, let me just say one thing about Dunmore. I never, you know, got to see him in person, and I went to uh, the Five Star Challenge that Rivals had, and I can't remember the last time that I was watching a young prospect, <laughs> and I was like a kid watching him and enjoying how how amazing his routes were. I mean, I, I don't know if I've I've seen someone that runs routes quite as crisp and and fluid as he does. So uh, for Penn State to then add him uh, about a week later, I was just I was really not, I don't want to say surprised because of of how well Penn State's recruited all over. Uh, you know they've they've done an excellent job in, in, in really expanding their reach, but to, to land him then, especially a week after I saw him, I mean that was just a, a home run that uh, you know I guess I guess I should have saw coming uh, you know at the, some of the hints that he was dropping, but uh, still just a lot of my colleagues thought it'd be Florida State or whatnot. But but to, to go back to your actual question, I think Noah Kane is 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 the other guy in Florida that uh, Penn State fans are excited about, and now of course he's originally from Texas. Um, but uh, he's at IMG now, so we, we technically listen as a Florida recruit. Uh, you know, he, his parents were just up this past weekend, and, and they really enjoyed it. So we'll we'll see how it goes. Um, you know, he just just did the top six, and he's going to take some official visits. So uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. I don't see it ending anytime soon. But again, to, to actually go to your your actual question, I'm going all, all over the place. They've done an excellent job at expanding their reach down there, and and they've been going down there even before Cider. You know, Terry Smith and. Uh, has done a really good job in the Tampa area. So, uh, you know, of course they brought in Miner, and, uh, you know, they, they were even going after one of Miner's friends, Johnny Dixon, another cornerback down there. So uh, they're, they're definitely making a lot of progress, which is important. But you can say the same thing about Georgia. You can say the same thing about Texas. As far as the elite, elite state, the only one that I don't think that – and I don't want to say they don't have an inroad there yet. It is California because they're working very hard in California. It's just, you know, it literally is on the whole other side of the country, so it's, it's a little more difficult to, to pull those guys in. But, you know, Georgia, Florida, and even Texas now, uh, Penn State's a real presence, and, and that's what that's what happens when you, you put an explosive offense out there. You have a very uh, charismatic coach in James Franklin, and, uh, by the way, you just won the Fiesta Bowl. So that, that's what that's what happens when you put a, put those results together. There are a lot of different reasons why people end up picking schools. When you talk to some of the players that have chosen Penn State, I want you to, look, Penn State not only wins, but they're fun to watch doing it. I mean, this is not yeah. a ten to seven team. Uh, you know, so beyond obviously some of the great things, academics is great, campus is great, and so forth. But sometimes staff great, sometimes style of play and how you go about doing it enters into it. When you've talked to some of the players, has that been a factor? Absolutely. Uh, a great example of this we haven't even mentioned him yet. 
Michael Johnson, the quarterback out of Oregon. Uh, he's about to make his commitment tomorrow, and uh, I think Penn State's a favorite with him. We, I'm, I'm surprised I didn't bring him up yet, but uh, yeah, but I think Penn State's going to get another quarterback tomorrow, and and that's one thing Michael has been just constantly saying is is their vision for him in the offense, and you know how exciting it is to play in that offense, especially as a quarterback. I mean, he's a very dynamic player. They would, I, you know, I don't want to compare him to Trace. Trace has established himself as one of the best quarterbacks in the country, uh, but you know, as far as you know, being able to, to you know move out of the pocket and throw on the run and all those things, uh, you know, he, he shows a lot of that same stuff. And same with Taquan Roberson, by the way. I don't want to leave him out because he, he's very much uh, um, fits that role. But but yeah, these guys are constantly saying about how it, it, it's not just uh, putting up points, but the way they go about it, and, and you know, uh, you know, running the you know the spread option and all that stuff. It, it's really um, grab these guys' attention. I mean, the RPO is everywhere now, so it it. it it's it's all across college football, but it's not as successful, I guess you'd say, as, as what we've seen here in the past couple of years. And um, you know, these these guys want to be a part of that. Yeah, because I mean, now you have obviously a huge sample size to choose from. This is how Penn State plays. This is the kind of crowd they play in front of. The place mm-hmm. goes crazy because the team is fun. All right. Ryan, always a pleasure. Appreciate the time and the information very much, and glad to hear everything's going well. Look forward to seeing you this weekend. Yeah, man. Take care, Steve. I'll catch up with you soon. Ryan Snyder, Rivals.com, Blue White Illustrated, on football recruiting today. Always great to catch up with him. He has been a great source for us on the show, and uh, he works very, very hard at something I think is extremely difficult to do. I usually, I, you know, Everyone knows I stay out of recruiting and I do for for you know a primary reason. It's number one, it's too much to cover for me with everything else I have to do. But number two, it's a violation for me too. You have to you know remember that uh, I still fall under NCAA guidelines. All right, don't forget Rowdy Gaines is coming up on Friday's show. Phil Steele on Monday's show. We've got a lot going on. It's great to have you with us. On the show today, brought to you by our great friend, Sunbury Motors is the best. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia routes 11 and 15 in Hummelsworth. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Great to have you with us here on News Radio 1070 WKOK.